Friends and neighbors, you're listening to Portland from the left. My name's Josh. And my name is Piper. And this is our holiday special episode. We are just going to be us two talking about ourselves. Piper said we have to make this fun, and that's why it's named the holiday special episode. And fingers crossed, at the end of it, there's a special song that I wrote uh, to, to, to celebrate all the wonderful podcasters and streamers of The Uprising. So if you stay through the podcast, uh, through the fun of talking about ourselves, you might also get to hear that song. There's some possibility I didn't finish it. So if I didn't finish it, I'll let you know at the end. Or you'll cut this out. Or, oh yeah, I'll just cut this out. <laughs> we're talking about ourselves. And the reason we're talking about ourselves is because I felt like we should answer for ourselves. Most of our like descriptive information, our strings of text that I wrote to get the podcast out that neither of us really spent a lot of time thinking about, like our about page and like the description of the podcast and whatever. Um, so I wanted a place to say like, this is like why we started the project. This is what we're doing. This is kind of what we hope to do. So, um, to get started, I thought we could talk a little bit about our political backgrounds. I worked, uh, as a worship leader and doing other stuff at evangelical churches for a long time. Um, and I, I was like operating as, as kind of the, the, the leftmost, most progressive person in those churches, usually, um, trying to kind of lead or lean the church left and trying to like make the doors open for queer people or like you know rethink some of the things the church was doing with their money and stuff um and found myself like inside of large organizations trying to reform them and really really unsuccessful i I literally just kept jumping from more like less and less uh conservative churches until i eventually just like like worked myself out of even being able to work with churches how did spending years trying to push churches from within them to the left shape how you think about making change now? One of the things I think I got from it was that um, sometimes like the change that I'm pushing for and that I see as a clear way forward is or infrequently it's not obvious it's not clear to everyone else uh, and even more so than that there will be people in opposition like direct thinking directly the opposite realizing that I was like trying to bring about things that people were like that put me as an enemy to other people, even though mm. we weren't outside of the context of these discussions, we weren't enemies. Um, that helped me a lot because I don't think that democracy and majority rule makes a whole lot of sense maybe. And I don't, I don't know what that means or why or how, like at, at this point, I probably think it just means less power, less control over people, less people mm-hmm. telling other people what to do, less hierarchy. Um, because I don't think if we all make decisions together, they're frequently going to be good. So we need to be careful when we exert power over other people. Um, it's it's not an easy way. Or if for me, it wasn't successful at all. I saw like every single organization I left, they were worse off when I left. And the, the changes that mm-hmm. I made inside were immediately gone when I was gone. Wow. And, and, and not a lot of it was like big significant stuff, but like, you know, um, pl- the places I was in were better while I was there and they were worse when I was gone. So like, you mm-hmm. know, the work meant something, but it also wasn't, long lasting or that impactful, yeah. you know, over time. What did you do when you stopped being involved in churches? Where did all that energy go? <laughs> uh, when I stopped being involved in churches, I spent um, about six months in bed. And so that was like just a big emotional break. And then afterward, I was able to put a bunch of my time and energy into um, Sarah Iannarone's mayoral campaign. So just, you know, participating as a volunteer and taking photos and videos sometimes and stuff like that. Um, and I think my, my thought at the time was that I could use kind of some of the energy that I was using at churches that I no longer 
was expending there um, and just shift that into political things. And um, it's definitely a, a very similar experience. The campaign gave me lots of autonomy within the things I was doing and let me kind of work how I saw fit. As, like I was producing some videos and stuff for them at the time. Um, and it was, it was very agreeable to work with them. Um, but I didn't have a lot of like authority or whatever, obviously, because I was just a volunteer helping out with a few things. Um, and it's not necessarily that nobody was listening to me. It's just that like, you know, my, that wasn't really my role. And so I think what that helped me see more than anything was that I realized if I was working on behalf of a politician, that meant co-signing what they were doing. Mm-hmm. And I no longer mm-hmm. am capable of doing that for, with any human being. <laughs> Like reform inside the church was tough for me because I, I didn't actually have a lot of impact. In a similar way, having to co-sign someone else mm-hmm. meant that I was necessarily limited in what I was allowed to say sometimes and what I was like free to comment on or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so not that anybody really told me what to say or like no, no like scandal or anything. It's just mostly like realizing that if I'm going to be constantly saying, hey, go vote for this person, then everything they do during, the, especially during that period I, I am implicitly and sometimes explicitly co-signing and that doesn't, mm-hmm. isn't going to work for me. Yeah, that's fair. Um, and then the other big chunk of things that kind of form my activism and my participation in local politics is anti-fascist research. And I started doing this while I was at, while I was working for churches. So a lot of it was like, I mean, like just secretive or not very public or whatever. Um, and I started by watching other people and what they were doing, what they were publishing, and then kind of doing a little bit of my own work and my own research. And, um, a big thing that I'm bringing from, from that stuff is that I I started to realize that the the anti-fascist work of documenting local, um, far-right extremists was very, very similar to the work that I wanted to see, like a, a produced work of like connecting the dots between local politicians and the groups that support them and the people that fund them and whatever. Mm-hmm. In my mind, that's the other leg. It's like not wanting to co-sign other people and like knowing that reform is difficult or impossible. And then um, knowing that a lot of the work is like documenting things is pointing, pointing out connections more than anything. Um, mm-hmm. And so that's kind of the three things that are in my head when I think about like my political activism and my history and stuff and what, direction I'm going like for you what what do you think like where do you get started when do you start thinking about like changing the world or like affecting what's going on around you uh that's right I said change the world probably like always (laughs) probably like day one day one no (laughs) this podcast was supposed to be about us like not bigging ourselves up uh no but I was a very aggressive toddler so I've been anti-capitalist pretty much for as long as I've had politics that was kind of like my um, formational kind of stance. Uh, probably if I think back, it's, it's probably related to this fact that my sister's a union organizer. She's older than me. She's a half sister. Um, and then I was like a punk. So it was just punk rock kids don't like money. So, you know, I was, had to move a lot. I was relatively stable, but I had a single mom who was working class. So we never had money. And when I went to school, I like really, learned what wealth was and I also I went to a school where the motto is communism atheism free love like that's the motto of the school and I got there and everyone was a fucking neoliberal (laughs) (laughs) not everyone there's some people that are fine but yeah (laughs) yeah so I um and then when I went to when I went to school um I kind of went with that in mind is like that's what I wanted to kind of study I wanted to figure out like how to study and 
see capitalism or how to study capitalism really mm-hmm. to understand it better. Yeah, Karl Marx didn't write anti-capitalism. Yeah, I ended up um, studying sociology. I That ended up being like the tool that worked the best for mm-hmm. how I thought about the world. I had sort of two personal experiences during that time, one of which was um, my sort of academic focus was on prisons. So I had a friend that um, ended up getting involved in the prison system for complicated reasons I don't need to get into here, but um, it allowed me to see just a little bit behind it and like see what was going on within Mm -hmm. them. And I just was like, no, (laughs) this is it. It it became like sort of the thing I had to understand and learn about. So I, I worked on, I worked on that. That's what I wrote my thesis on the school I went to. You write like a full year long thesis. And I got to the end of it. You know, I learned so much. I told everyone in my life was having to listen to me talk about prisons all the time. And a professor was like, you know, if you're going to publish this, we really got to think about X, Y, Z. And I was just staring at her and I was like, why? (laughs) And I had reached the end of this this whole experience and was like, wait, this doesn't do anything at all. Like I learned so much, like the learning part of it was so important to me, but there wasn't actually a next step for me to do anything on that route. And everything that I was working on was pointing me towards like academia. And I wasn't seeing academia like actually do anything about the things I cared about, or I wasn't seeing a path for that, at least for me. Um, So that kind of just ended up being sort of like a dead end in the how side of it. Um, And then the other thing that happened while I was in school were, were that multiple students that I knew I was very good friends with their friends. Two people died of heroin overdoses. And it's a very small school, so that's a large number of students to die um, while I was there. And I was involved in, I got involved in a group called like Students for More Sensible Drug Policy or something like that. What we were doing in our little group was more trying to move the, the school to prevent people from dying. And so one, one stance we took, this is like, there were like four of us or something, was we were trying to push the school to have um, good Samaritan policies so that if students were potentially ODing, like they would feel safe calling the on-campus security mm-hmm. officers and they would like have naloxone or something like that and no right. one would get in trouble. So like if you just weren't sure what was going on, like we wanted to make sure like, no, just call somebody, like get emergency services. You wanted to make, make it safe so that people could get help. Yeah. Yeah. And, and also we wanted to get the safety officers like trained on naloxone because at the time it was really inaccessible. Right. Right. Um, it was technically illegal to administer it another person. It was really complicated because you didn't have the prescription and it was like a prescription drug. It was, it was in a bad spot, but like you could still have the, um, like safety officers trained on how to do it. Like, so we were trying to get that. Um, and the school not only did not do those things, they started cracking down on weed smoking. It was a really dark example of like petitioning for help from the powerful and it going like completely the other way. I don't think it was like a reaction to what we were trying to push them to do. It was a reaction to the legal situation, but Um, So that didn't work at all. Uh, But something that did work was we just like bought a drug testing kit and put it in a locker and it just like people could test their drugs. So we just put it in a locker and distributed the the code. And it's like, oh, okay, like that's that's how you actually make people safer is you just do it. (laughs) You've got your prison abolition research in in the paper and then. um, Oh, in your anti-capitalist like framework that kind of you come in with. Yeah, that's kind of how I got to prisons as well. Like it was actually a paper about 
capitalism. It seems like that should have come from somewhere more substantive. Maybe I'm just like imagining. I think it was probably a mix of my sister and like I was into like crest punk bands (laughs) when I was like 13. Listen, crest punk bands have their use, okay? The union organizing stuff was definitely part of it as well. Now that we've talked a little bit, a little bit about a background, just a little bit, hopefully less. I'm going to edit it out. <laughs> we've been talking for a while. How long is it? Let me look at the recording. I'm looking at the numbers. We're 25 minutes in, Piper. Okay, so a lot less than that. Less than 25 minutes. Podcast listener, whatever you're looking at, that's how good of an editor I am. You're welcome. Um, anyway, the point is, the next question that I have written down is, um, why did we start a podcast? Do you remember the first question I asked you about our podcast? Yeah, so Josh just DM'd me one day and he said, what would our politics podcast about Portland be called? <laughs> he did not ask me if we were doing a podcast. I just assumed you wanted to be on a podcast about politics with me. Why would you not want to um, you know, raise your profile and become more well-known within Portland as a leftist with politics that are against business? Oh God! <laughs> you're, you're saying that like promoting yourself as like a uh, a personality uh, to do politics that wasn't part of your deal. Um, no, I actually just am really mad, and I just need to have a void to yell into, and hopefully have some friends. I think one <laughs> of the things void with me. <laughs> One of the the things that may be a little bit confusing about our podcast is that normally podcasts are about promoting um, particularly the people and also the podcast itself. Um, There are two things that we don't care about. Number one, we do not care if you listen. And number two, we're not trying to gain power or or political notoriety for either of us. We don't want jobs. We don't want um, elected positions. No, thank you. Piper has a career and works in that career, does whatever Piper does. And Josh is an unemployed person right now, but makes videos and stuff for people and will find work eventually, hopefully, because you can only be unemployed for so long. Um, my my partner uh, funds this this our family. And then Piper and I uh, fund this podcast independently, but that, like it's like 15 bucks a month or something. It's very cheap. Um, and we're happy to do that right now. I don't know. We're not really making decisions for the future. That was a lot. Why did we start a podcast though, Piper? So it's not to get people to listen to the podcast necessarily. And it's not to become um, very wealthy political consultants or um, powerful politicians. So what are we doing here? Well, it's interesting you're asking me because (laughs) this was definitely a a pitch you brought to me. (laughs) I I feel like asking you to repeat the pitch back to me is, it's probably a little self-indulgent on my part. Sure. No, I'll, I'll well, I'll tell you, I'll, what you told me that convinced me it was a good idea. <laughs> okay, lay it on me. What did I say? You you pitched to me the idea that we were having all these great conversations with smart friends that we made who we agree with on many things about the city, but that these conversations were all very ephemeral. And most of them were on Twitter and they were on, you know, just on threads. They'd be these great detailed threads and then people would be like, oh, I don't know where that is. And kind of it would get lost to kind of the the Twitter timeline. And so you were talking about like, let's turn some of that into something that has a concrete place to live. Let's do like the same thing, that same sort of deep dive into a topic with smart people that know about it, um, but give it a place to live. I'm telling you, it was super smart of me to reach out to you in particular, because you just made that pitch better than I made it to you the first time. I'm sure that it took me 30 minutes. (laughs) 
I, I, I think I remember that phone call because I was pacing around my living room trying to explain to you why you needed to start a podcast. <laughs> and I, I, I still ha- wasn't convinced it was a podcast yet. I thought maybe it was like a like a Twitch live stream or like a, I don't know what, some other thing. I think at one point you you said we should call it like the Piper Show or something. And I was like, no, no, no. no. Well, because I didn't know what kind of person you are. So I was trying to say like, I could just be the producer if you imagine yourself, like if you, if you could, if you could brand yourself and you wanted that, because I wasn't necessarily against that for you. I just knew that wasn't me. Mm-hmm. And so those were some of our first conversations about this kind of stuff. And so I didn't know, I didn't know you were more like me where you're like, I don't give a fuck if anybody knows my name, I literally could go like buy a different name. That would actually probably have been much more convenient. I probably should have. We, we both, we <laughs> thought about it and we probably should have. Um, but here we are now. You're welcome. Um, and then I also really liked uh, the opportunity to talk more deeply to people that I just thought were really smart and knew about an idea and ask them questions. Um, part of what I do just in my professional life is interview people. And so I really enjoy that. I really enjoy just getting to just sit and learn about something that someone knows super well. They're not like theory, right? It's like practical stuff that we can maybe use to figure some things out. It's not necessarily about changing things, right? Um, but we certainly would da- desire to change Portland for the better. And so like, it's, it's, it's more like a, a, a some, somewhere in the middle where it's like a, a place to gather, a place to learn, mm-hmm. a place to like connect the dots a little bit um, with the hope that lots of other podcasts would show up and do similar things or other shows and other publications and stuff. And that they would be the base level of a new understanding, like a, a collective um, research apparatus almost, right? I think part of the reason I think that is so important is because one of the tools that sort of like the political elite of Portland use to maintain power is sort of making it too complicated for people to understand and acting like, oh, we're the experts. You need people that like know what they're doing. And I think it's really important to just demystify a lot of it. Mm-hmm. We can actually understand it. Um, I'm not saying I'm an expert, like I said, but like I can actually, if I spend the time with someone that knows about it, ask questions and learn about it to the extent that I can have an opinion about it. And I think everyone can. Yeah. I think that if you're interested in it, that actually this stuff isn't that hard. You don't have to be an expert. You just have to have the time where someone has actually like gone through that bullshit and gotten rid of all the stuff that's supposed to make it confusing. Yeah. And I think anybody that's done any kind of deep research and anything that's complex knows that like you can't just like immediately understand things, but it's not impossible. It's not like uh, a mountain you can't climb. Right. And this is like our you know, it's all of our city. Mm-hmm. Like we can understand the goings on. So, so this is like a way, this is kind of a base level. This is my bare minimum, really. Um, PDX from the left. That's like, we're starting there. We're just going to start talking about some of the stuff, start talking about some of these issues, get some of the smart people talking mm-hmm. to each other, not us again. It's more about connecting the dots with other um, people with expertise. And you'll notice that a lot of our guests are anonymous and that's part of kind of the projects is that we're not promoting them and we're not bringing in politicians to do stump speeches and stuff. We're talking about the, the systems and, um, the, the platforms that keep the politicians in power. So it's necessary that like, we don't talk to people that might be like kind of framing things a particular way or or giving too much. They need to not have like too much of a stake in the system maintaining as is <laughs> <laughs> right we kind of uh, <laughs> yeah. we, need, we need to be speaking to people that are open to change i'd say that's yeah. uh, we're not necessarily yeah. asking for everybody to be a hardcore revolutionary but you gotta like at least be signed up for the idea that revolution could be help <laughs> <laughs> yeah so earlier i was talking a little bit about 
about connecting the dots between a bunch of different projects and how this level of research and documentation and just talking and processing things together um, will hopefully um, be as kind of a similar thing to some of the anti-fascist research that um, I've participated in and done. Mm -hmm. And it's not necessarily like uh, about breaking into someone's computer and finding secret files somewhere. It's more about just documenting relationships, understanding patterns, seeing where the money comes in and out and who's controlling what. Um, and so I think a lot of that is relevant to this kind of work and just finding out like who's related to who, who's telling who what to do, who's like, who's funding who, all that kind of stuff to find out what their biases are, who they're working for and on behalf of um, so that we can either interrupt it or support it. Right. Cause I, th mm -hmm. I assume there's somebody doing good work somewhere. <laughs> um, so if, if we find those people, we will absolutely yeah. tell you about them and talk to them. Um, up until then, we'll probably keep talking about the people that are fucking everything up. You've taught me a lot about the how the ways that we've been talking about politics relate to anti-fascist work. Like you've taught me a lot about the tools you use. And I think one that um, I noticed was really absent from media coverage that anti-fascists always do is they just every time someone comes up, they remind you who they are and the nefarious things they've been up to, the the seedy characters they hang out with, um, something that's completely absent from coverage of, say, someone like Sam Adams, who is now back in office after he is a sexual predator. Um, like, everybody knows he is. He's back in office, and almost none of the coverage ever brings that up. And that's the kind of thing that just wouldn't happen if you were, like, talking about Joey Gibson or something, you. Right, right. right. I think <laughs> the media, of course, would do that as well. <laughs> that's, that's, that's funny because, like, well, it's the same thing, right? Literally what you are what you want from or what I want from news coverage is give me the perspective I don't have. Give me the extra detail or whatever. I don't necessarily need something well-written. Like, you're supposed to be tracking this stuff. A list would be fine. Yeah. I just want you to catalog it, right? I, I, I think in a perfect world, I would be paying attention to other stuff. Like I would be able to do that. And like the existing news media apparatus would be connecting the dots for us. Um, the problem is to say it's a conspiracy is wrong because that would be a hidden thing and a secret thing. Um, this is just very public. Like all of these people mm -hmm. are interconnected, related, marrying each other, working with each other, funding each mm -hmm. other. And it's very, very public. Um, it's literally Googleable. I have so many fun things to talk about in the future. I cannot wait <laughs> um, until I'm going to get some... I'm I'm learning like because there's definitely I want to do more research like you know documenting some hate preacher from Vancouver not really a big deal. This guy says a bunch of queerphobic stuff. He's a doofus. Here's some clips of him saying horrible things. Um, in in the reverse, what I'm trying to document now is like oh this person is funded by this person who is married to this person who works with this other person, and all of those people are you know, at some level, private individuals that I don't necessarily want to put on blast for being um, far right hate preachers. Right. Mm -hmm. But I do need to find some way to document their relationships and how yeah. they are enabling abuses of power. And so I think that's um, that translation is still something I'm working on. And I've already made some cool and terrible <laughs> mistakes. Um, but uh, I'm, I'm hoping, I'm hoping to find some better equilibrium there. And like, I've, we've got this project and then I've got some video projects I'm working on that like will hopefully help me flesh this out. But yeah, it's, it's definitely about connecting the dots for people, documenting, researching. And like, you know, I, I think that's all of Portland from the left. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't know. I don't know that it goes beyond that for this project. So local media not only doesn't really spend time kind of giving the kind of background and connections that we 
are focused on mm-hmm. for just the power players in town. Right. But also they tend to have just a layer of framing that we don't agree with. And so that's why explicitly we're called Portland from the left, because we are explicitly not having sort of the status quo framing that typical just capitalist media has. So we are definitely stripping out just like the default pro-business stance and stripping out sort of like the default trust of things like cops say or something like that. Just sort of like journalistic norms that media outlets in Portland, as well as most other places sort of tend to have. Yeah. And I think it's important to say that um, also as a segue into saying that like we, we're not defining ourselves as the the Portland left or like uh, even defining what the left might be. We're mm-hmm. saying we are somewhere over here on the left and that's like what, where we're talking about things from. That's the perspective. That's the framing. Um, and a lot of it, like you said, is just because um, all, all of the stories, the sea of information about Portland that's published is all um, pro business, you know, at least vaguely and pro let's call it establishment politics or like mm-hmm. the existing political structure providing alternate framings for the existing stories and for the existing topics and stuff, I think is like just very, very important to me and really a key part of like what we're doing here and and like what the ongoing process is about. Along with that, I I wrote down avoiding money, um, which (laughs) I think if you look at my career trajectory, um, you could call it avoiding money. Um, but what I meant when I wrote down avoiding money was mostly that like we're self-funded and um, it, the costs are very small. It's like 12 or $15 a month or something. And um, plan to do that as long as we can indefinitely maybe um, with, with the goal of not being controlled by a desire for growth or new Patreon subscribers or whatever so that we could just mm-hmm. um, talk about the, the topics at hand with as, as much of a neutral neutral lens isn't quite right because I'm saying a lens of our mm-hmm. politics, but we also yeah. don't want it to be informed by a desire for growth. Um, mm-hmm. so, so part of the joking about anti-growth stuff and don't listen to our podcast and whatever, of course we're publishing something. We want you to listen to it, but, um, like marketing it and, and, and caring about its growth, I think would frame our heads the wrong way. Um, yeah. because like great, if it has more Twitter followers than, um, uh, Renee Gonzalez or whatever as a joke, <laughs> but like, you know, we don't necessarily want lots and lots of people to listen to Portland from the left. We want lots and lots of people to start their own shows and podcasts and like mm-hmm. projects and blogs and whatever. Like the, the goal is write your own blog. The goal is not yeah. listen to our podcast. Yeah. And it, like when we started, we were like, okay, like what would it be like to be, you know, successful here? And it's like, well, you know, if only like our significant others were listening, probably we wouldn't do it anymore. We we're like, many people regularly listen like that's cool that's worth it <laughs> that's relevant too that like when we first published the podcast it it did much better than we anticipated and also i went out of my way from a technical perspective to remove the ability to track stuff and so we only had like itunes and spotify numbers um, but that gave us enough to figure out that there's like 200 or so people listening maybe on the last episode and that was like way more than a, than my movie review podcast I did for like years and way more than we expected to listen to it. So we were already like have met our goals and we're fine for listeners. Mm-hmm. We're like, good. That's enough. That's enough people. <laughs> no need to spread the show. It's plenty. I feel like we haven't quite made fun of ourselves enough because like we are still doing a podcast, which like has to have like a little bit of egotism in it. Mm-hmm. Right. Like, yeah, yeah. While while like I'm not really interested in 
Um, you know, really, honestly, honestly, why are people following me on Twitter? <laughs> <laughs> but, but, um, but you have a Twitter, you know, I, I do have to think that people aren't annoyed by hearing me talk, I guess. <laughs> to be, to be recording. Is this you making fun of be, yourself? Is this you like, allowing you to record it and put it on the internet? <laughs> it's embarrassing to make a podcast. It's very embarrassing. It's yeah. So like, in order, to, let's just go over this. So in order to make this podcast, Piper and I have to schedule a phone call. That takes like, some text. And then we have to decide what to talk about. That takes more text. And then we hang out for like an hour and talk about our feelings. And then we go get drinks or something. And then we come back and record for like another hour, sometimes two hours. Sometimes like a lot. <laughs> and then I edit that for like four or five hours. It takes like four or five hours to edit every episode. And then we, uh, Piper listens to it and adds a transcription. So that's an, probably another hour or so or however long it takes to do that. Um, depending on the length of the episode, which is sometimes as much as two hours. Mm -hmm. So like this is an incredible amount of effort to put in. It's very embarrassing. It's, it's like we're doing all of that in order to put out our political ideas. That's an embarrassing <laughs> thing. I am 39 years old. I have other things to do. My child is hungry. It is. That's not true. I fed him dinner already. It's 920. But like, you know, we have other things we could be doing productive things whenever like my mom was like i'll listen to your podcast and i was like i don't no. i don't i was just like mom i don't really think it'll make any sense like i won't give enough context for you to know what i'm talking about and you know what she did anyway and that's very nice and her feedback was that you should swear less right? <laughs> yeah. fuck that sorry mom my mom's dead so not sorry mom <laughs> Although if my mom was alive, she would have said the same thing. Yeah. She said, I loved it. Can you swear less? She, she said that, you know, depending on my audience. And then I was like, well, mom, that's exactly the point. <laughs> well, part, part of the point of swearing and not being so professional and not like taking it seriously, but not thinking of it as important is, um, you know, you got to take the piss right you gotta make fun of yourself a little bit and like take the piss did you just make that take up the piss isn't that no that's the thing <laughs> i don't know it? i don't know any idioms <laughs> i think that's a british idiom i think i'm <laughs> i'm crossing languages not crossing language crossing uh, nation barriers people should make fun of us more honestly yeah it's silly to have a podcast i mean also just to mention if you wanted me to make fun of podcasters more just wait a few minutes you keep <laughs> listening you might get there um, I would like someone listening, if there's anyone listening that um, is really doesn't like this or doesn't like my ideas or, you know, please write a negative review because the only negative review I got was not very good. And I would like a higher quality negative review. If you are an enemy of the pod, <laughs> if you're someone that does not like us, does not like our ideas. Even if you like our ideas, but you just don't like me personally. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. Could you please? We're, at, we're I guess we're asking for negative reviews. Um, here's here's the one we got from RH is a joke three on October twenty fifth, twenty twenty one, which we recently found out about, and I was so excited about. I pinned it to our Twitter profile, and I probably won't take it down for very long. So it starts. Uh, it's it says Nah. That's the title. Nah. Uh, one star. We didn't get zero stars. Can you give zero uh, stars? I don't know. I don't. I've never reviewed a podcast. I'm not that fucking nerdy. <laughs> That's not true. I probably reviewed a bunch of podcasts. Um, so let me read it to you. Short on facts and full of misrepresentations. Not even remotely objective. 
Look these two up on Twitter to see what kinds of people they are. Piper even got banned from Nextdoor for one year because she could not stop being mean to neighbors. Do you believe that? (laughs) Why can't you stop being mean to neighbors, Piper? I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) I have no idea. It's an affliction. The idea that people don't like our podcast is very satisfying to me. (laughs) So friends, that's our our holiday special episode. Thanks for listening to such an indulgent thing where we talked about ourselves a lot. We do not plan on doing that often. I love to talk about myself, but Piper hates it. So that's where the balance comes from. (laughs) Thank you for listening to our podcast. I like some of you. (laughs) Some of you I like a lot. And um, I really, please do leave a review. Um, or just like tell us what you think just directly about um, our ideas because our podcast is sort of a learning project. There's a huge part of it. And I want to learn from all of you. So negative reviews, positive reviews, just send me a message on Twitter. Send, send compliments to Josh and send <laughs> criticism to Piper. <laughs> yeah, I can only take the compliments. I, so as long as the criticism is filtered through you, Piper, if you're telling me, <laughs> if you're like, Josh, someone said this and they suck, but maybe we'll listen to it. Yeah. Then it would be like, I'm, I'm much like, I, I need a little, I'm still need a filter. I'm a gentle flower. Yeah. I like when people are mean to me because I'm a fighter. And as a special treat... Um, because we love you so much here is a song I wrote making fun of podcasters like us thanks for listening whoa whoa go and grab your gas mask whoa whoa have you seen my vape whoa whoa I gotta film this trash can whoa whoa enemies of the state this is a song for the Podcasters of the uprising How's your Patreon? Are the advertisers checks still clearing? Whoa, whoa, go and grab your gas mask Whoa, whoa, have you seen my vape? Whoa, whoa, standing on the snack van Whoa, whoa, enemies of the state this is a song